Inside a rough and ruthless newsroom, thousands of stories fight for the spotlight. Only a few survive past their 15 minutes of fame. So what makes for a good headline and what makes for a buried byline? Join us, two former TV news producers, as we dig up stories that never got the recognition or justice they deserve. I'm Mallory Wilson. I'm Megan DeLucine. And this is Buried Bylines. Well, for once, I feel like you're the one who doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, I have no idea. You were like, I did this in record time. (laughs) I did. I don't know. Well, that's partially because there's not a ton of coverage on it. Right. Which is annoying. But, like, I was just breezing through it. I was like, this is crazy. How'd you find it? Great questions. (laughs) How did I find it? I literally had such a week. I'm trying to think. It is... One of Indiana's Unsolved. It's on the Cold Case website. These make me so mad. I know. Well, I want to do it a little different today. Okay. So I'm going to read you the synopsis of the case, like what I read online that made me want to cover it. Okay. And this is from, again, the Indiana State Police Cold Case website. It's December 11th. 1986. We're in Marshall County, Indiana. That's like the north central part of the state, kind of on your way up to South Bend. 11-year-old Brandy Peltz was found dead in her home, floating face down in a bathtub full of water. An upstairs bedroom of the residence was set on fire. The victim was found by a passerby who noticed the second story of the residence fire and stopped to see if anyone was inside. Brandy Peltz was sick that day and home alone from school. To this day, the case of Brandy's murder is unsolved and many people outside of northern Indiana don't know about it. So let's take a deep dive and try to understand why. Yeah, that's just, yeah, I need to know more. What are your initial thoughts? Well, so she's found dead face down in the bathtub after a fire. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, the fire, like those two things happening at the same time make it weird for me. But if it happened, like if she was just found face down in the bathtub, I could see like somehow, like what if she had a medical emergency or I don't know, I need to know more about why they think it's a... I don't know. I, it's, it's, it's intriguing for sure. I can see why you picked it. So the news broke on the front page of the South Bend Tribune on Friday, December 12th, 1986. 11-year-old Brandy Peltz was quickly identified as the victim because, as I mentioned, she was the only one home that day because she was feeling sick. This initial article provides a lot of details about the crime right off the bat. The South Bend Tribune reports that Brandy died of, quote, apparent strangulation. Her nude body was found in a downstairs bathtub, which was full of water. The newspaper states an unidentified person who was driving past the home around 3 p.m. Thursday noticed smoke billowing out of the windows. That person stopped at a neighbor's house to call the Argos Fire Department. They then went to 
the Pelts home where they discover Brandy's lifeless body. Fred Jones, the Marshall County prosecutor, told the media they would be investigating this case as a murder. Investigators believe Brandy was strangled with a rope or similar material. An autopsy had already been scheduled for later that day on Friday. On top of investigating a murder, officials said they were also looking into the cause of the fire as it appeared to be, quote, non-accidental. They immediately believed the fire which was upstairs, was a cover-up for the killing of Brandy Peltz. Investigators also hinted at the fact that there was a chance Brandy could have been sexually assaulted. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's three separate huge crimes. Right. So I immediately go to someone strangled her after sexually assaulting her and then set the house on fire. But then they're stupid because they left her in a bathtub full of water. They're also stupid because, like, <laughs> they started the fire upstairs and her yeah, body was downstairs. <laughs> wow, that's a lot. That that poor girl. That poor girl. Okay, keep going. I need more. <laughs> Within the first 24 hours, neighbors were interviewed, but no suspects were named. That included the person who found Brandy's body. Police said they did not believe they were a suspect. Here's where things take an even more disturbing twist, though. Prosecutor Jones revealed that the family had received some strange phone calls in the days leading up to the murder. According to the family, there were two instances where someone called the house, and on the other end of the phone, all they could hear was heavy breathing. Ew, that's scary. Not a hello, no talking at all, just heavy breathing. Like, (sighs) (laughs) that's a horror movie i know i know i know oh god yeah that's oh my this is just so weird so bizarre so jones issued a statement to the public asking anyone in the area who may have received similar phone calls to reach out to investigators another spooky detail that's worth mentioning is the fact that the pelts family lived less than two miles away from darlene hulse the argos mother of two was abducted from her home in august of 1984 as her children watched darlene's body was found the next day in a wooded area near the marshall fulton county line at the time of brandy's murder that case was also unsolved prosecutor jones was quick to say that there didn't seem to be any ties between the two cases however he said it was too early to rule anything out the public was quick to draw their own ties though both victims were female both lived in argos both crimes happened in the middle of the day and at their respective homes. Whoa. Yeah. Journalists helped provide a little bit more context, though. It appeared crime was on an uptick in Marshall County. In 1986 alone, the small community of about 1,500 people saw three murders, two bank robberies, and a deadly arson. I think that really helps, like, set the scene for this crime because now you have the tragic and brutal death of an 11-year-old girl in her own home. And I can only imagine what the community was feeling, that they they were probably already on edge, and this likely pushed them over. Yeah, I'd be fucking scared. I would be so scared. And that's, I mean, that's a small town. 1,500 people is very small. Yeah, and like small town rumors, I can only imagine. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, this case screams small town. I cannot wait to get to the rest of it. So, 
It didn't take long to see the impact this had on the community, especially on Brandy's fifth grade classmates. The South Bend Tribune spoke with her principal, who was forced to break the news to students that Friday. He told them it's okay to be sad and it's okay to cry if that's how you feel. The students really wanted to help, so they started taking donations for flowers for the funeral. The principal said Brandy's entire fifth grade class planned on attending the funeral. And I can only imagine that this is probably these kids' first experience with death. It's really hard for a child to comprehend those complex emotions. I mean, a lot of adults struggle with it. And I was around the same age when I had my first experience with death, where it was like someone that I loved and cared about that wasn't a family member like I feel like it can be a little bit different when it's like a grandparent who's old and you you explain to a child like it happens happens, you know but when it's a young kid especially you know a classmate like that it's it's a lot harder to explain like that's not supposed to happen It's their own age. Like, so usually when you have your first experience with death, I feel like it kind of humbles you to your own mortality. But like at fucking 11 years old, I mean, we had one of our classmates like from high school passed away and that made me sit down and think like, oh my God, that's crazy. Like, yeah, people that young can pass away unexpectedly and you're fucking 11 years old I do think it can change you as like if it happens very very young in your life I think it can change you it doesn't make sense in your brain when you're that young that like someone who is also young dies and then like to think about it in the context of like these kids went to school and they were like oh my friend is like sick she'll be here tomorrow and then she just like never comes back yeah it's hard to explain finality to children it's hard to explain finality to adults sometimes that's true true. (laughs) you're like um did going back to vanderpump rules ma'am did you think about what this was gonna do to you (laughs) did you think about all your these consequences I don't oh for the tiniest of palate cleansers did you see that Tom Sandoval has a podcast now uh no but did you see he's on a like wilderness show yes you couldn't pay me to listen to his podcast and then Ariana is on Dancing with the Stars I think I did watch her on Dancing with the Stars the other night did she do good she did so good oh good yeah Yeah, my mom my mom goes (laughs) Because she always listens to the episodes on Tuesdays. And I was like, did you listen to the latest episode? She was like, yeah, except for the last 10 minutes. I was like, mom! Say, I don't care. What is even Vanderpump Rules? Yeah, she was like, what do you you mean? What is this? Okay, back to the story. Yeah, back to the story. So (laughs) by Sunday investigators told the South Bend Tribune that they were receiving numerous calls about the crime, but still did not have any suspects. A lot of those tips or calls were in regard to the strange phone calls the Pelts received of someone breathing into the phone. Sheriff Richard Tyson revealed that one of those calls to the Pelts' home came just a few hours before Brandy was murdered. According to a family friend, Brandy's mother had come home during the day to check on her and have lunch with the girl before heading back to work. Shortly after she returned, around 1pm, Brandy called her office to let her know about the strange phone call with the person, Darth Vadering, on the other side of the phone. Vadering, not Darth Vader. It was the last time Roxy Peltz spoke to her daughter. Oh. 
that's horrible and like she was already like freaked out by the phone call and then this happens yeah this article also confirmed what investigators believe from the crime scene deputy coroner ward byers said the official cause of death for brandy was asphyxiation due to ligature strangulation the autopsy also confirmed that brandy was sexually assaulted before her death For further clarification, the coroner said Brandy was not drowned despite being found in the bathtub and her body was not burnt either. So the fire had not made its way down to the first floor before she was found. Yeah, because the criminal's fucking stupid. Mm, Stay stupid. I mean, except maybe don't because this time they actually actually appear to have gotten away with it. So (laughs) because it's still unsolved. I know, that's the worst part. I just keep listening to these horrible things you say to me. And then I'm like, it's unsolved still. It sounds like I'm making up all these terrible things to make it worse, but they're actually all true. I know. Within three days of Brandy's murder, and as more details were revealed, the news spread to even more communities in Indiana, as well as the neighboring states of Ohio and Kentucky. The buzz around Brandy's case only grew when on December 15th, the body of a missing 19-year-old boy was found in the Yellow River. The victim, Richard Grubbs, had also been strangled. Again, police would not comment on whether or not they believed the two killings were related. In the coming weeks, Brandy's case was often mentioned alongside Richard's and other unsolved cases in Marshall County. The community was putting the pressure on local police to close all of these cases. In early January of 1987, investigators from Plymouth, Bremen, Marshall County, Indiana State Police, and the FBI all met to study these open cases. Prosecutor Jones said the meeting was held for each of the agencies to be together at one time, in one place, to thoroughly discuss the crimes. Jones said the FBI was brought in on all of the cases because they were already helping investigate on two of the six open cases. Investigators did not divulge any new information about Brandy's case, though. Two months went by before Brandy's case was mentioned in the local newspapers again, but it had nothing to do with updates in her investigation. Instead, it was a story about another young girl who was killed in Laporte about an hour north of Argos. Ten-year-old Linda Weldy was found killed near an old railroad bed three weeks after she disappeared. Wendy's body was also found face down. Brandy's case was mentioned as a footnote in this article as Marshall County investigators said the two were not connected. Okay, what what is going on in this town of 1,500 people that that story is not mentioned for two This is just the county. They keep, the newspaper keeps lumping in all of these county crimes that happen in Marshall County. And I mean, still, that's a lot. I mean, like a little girl was killed and we have no fucking idea. And then another little girl is killed. Christ. Yeah. (laughs) I'd have a conniption. And this is sadly where Brandy's case starts to drop off. It would be another four years before her name was published in another area newspaper. Nearly all of the following coverage was in regard to unsolved cases in Marshall County or in northern Indiana. Journalists examining the details of the case and throwing her name into a roundup of crimes with lingering outcomes getting colder by the minute. And the time between each article gets wider and wider. 1991, then 1997, 2001, 2003, and so on. 
God. It wasn't until 2009 that the spotlight was fully brought back to Brandy Peltz's case. New interest was sparked by a self-published book by Thomas Crowell. According to the South Bend Tribune, the Northwest Indiana businessman wrote a fictionalized account of his nearly three years investigating Brandy's murder. The book is called The Passerby. Apparently, the buzz around the book prompted Marshall County investigators to take another look at the case. Indiana State Police announced in 2009 that the new Marshall County prosecutor invited them to conduct a new investigation into Brandy's death. So let's talk about Thomas Crow. Yeah, what is what the fuck is a fictionalized account of an investigation? He basically took interest in Brandy's case, started investigating it himself, and then published what he thought happened. So it's nonfiction. It's fiction because he doesn't know if it's true or not. That's garbage. Don't, don't write a book about. Okay. Tell me more about this. Very interesting. Thomas Crowell held a book signing and reading event in February of 2009, which was the basis for this article. He said while he changed the names of people and places in the book, along with some minor details, he says it, quote, hews fairly close to the truth. Just how closely is what community members wanted to know and peppered Crowell with questions about the book, including the person he believed committed the murder. And here's where I have to give this some credence because I do feel like, according to Occam's Razor, his theory is probably correct. It's the it's what makes the most right. sense. The most it's, likely thing is yes, probably what happened. Is probably what happened. So Crowell believes the passerby or the unnamed person who found Brandy's body is responsible for her death. He wrote it in his book. And he told the South Bend Tribune that he stands by that conclusion. Police actually credited Crowell in this article for renewing interest in the cold case. The author said he originally planned on writing a book about Darlene Hughes's case until he stumbled upon Brandy's grave at the cemetery. Crowell has family members buried in this very same cemetery. He asked a farmer what happened to Brandy and the farmer said she drowned in a bathtub. Crowell started looking into it and learned that there was much more to the case. Yeah, well, what are the odds of that? That's crazy. I will say as much shit as I gave him in the last three minutes, he did renew interest in the case, which is good. And it seems like he did care about it, but I just think it can be a slippery slope when you start. It can be very dangerous. I feel like in cases now, police would be very against this of like publishing your own theories trying to stir up things that aren't true but it seemed like this was very cold so I mean I feel like any interest at this point is good no publicity is bad publicity for cold cases I think yeah the new county prosecutor David Holmes was also interviewed for this in-depth piece by the South Bend Tribune he revealed that long ago there was a suspect identified in Brandy's case but that police were never able to charge the person. The mood of everyone interviewed in the article seemed to be optimistic. The prosecutor was happy about the renewed interest. Community members wanted to build off of that and push for answers. And police seemed excited to put a fresh pair of eyes on the case. State Police Sergeant Trent Smith said they would review the evidence, including DNA samples and other things collected over the years. The book also helped garner some national attention, which was the first from what I could find. The Guardian did a piece on Thomas Crowell and his theories regarding the murder. The title reads, 
Has a salesman solved a 25-year-old murder case? If only it was that easy. I didn't read Kral's book and his exact reasoning behind why he believed the passerby was the murderer. Since researching this case, I've also wondered why that unnamed person was written off so quickly. Something that stood out to me was how fast the person was able to find Brandy. It was fast enough that the fire hadn't spread into the downstairs area of the home because according to her autopsy, she wasn't burned. The person also was able to enter the home. One article even stated that they saved the family dog from the blaze before discovering Brandy in the bathtub. Wow. Yeah, I feel like your immediate instinct is to run where the fire is, which would be upstairs. To see if there's anyone upstairs. Yeah. And then immediately went to the... And did they... Well, I guess we would need more information from police, but, like, did the unnamed person, like, get her out of the bathtub and, like, take a pulse or carry her out or just was like, she's dead in the bathtub, come get her? I mean, they had already called the fire department. So, like... Yeah, no, I don't think they touched the body at all. That's weird to me. But I mean, not really. I don't know. I mean, if I if I saw someone face down in a bathtub, I probably wouldn't turn them over. I might just in case. But then again, I've listened to so much true crime that I'm like, you don't want to touch or disturb the scene, but like at least take a pulse. Right. I don't don't know. know. Yeah, the way that that person found her is weird. It's very sketchy. So, yeah, it does make me wonder, like, how did they write that person off so quickly? I mean, think about it. It all sounds very convenient. Like you drove past this house, you saw smoke. So you stopped and called the fire department and then you went to the house because you heard a dog barking, saved the dog and stumbled upon this dead body before the fire even reached downstairs. Yeah. Cause like, I assume you have to take a couple turns to get into a bathroom. So like you were obviously looking. And I mean, think about it. What sounds more plausible that, that you're rushing against fire that has already been set or you strangled and killed this girl, left her in the Mm -hmm. bathtub face down, set the fire upstairs and And then then conveniently drove by and called the fire department. Yeah, that's one too many coincidences for me. Yeah, that's Not odd. to be, I'm usually not a speculator like this, but like. I mean, cold cases, you can speculate a little bit, I think. And Just there's because... no, I don't even have anyone that I'm like dragging. I don't even know who this person right. is. The person's name has never been identified. It's never been said that it's a man or a woman. My gut's telling me it's a man, but come on. I know. So, unfortunately, buzz around the book didn't last long. The case is still open, but the articles about Brandy are still few and far between. It was another six years before her name was published in a local newspaper. Once again, she wasn't the focus, instead a footnote in the recent killing of a local girl in Marshall County. WNDU spotlighted the case in 2017, 31 years later. Crawl's theory was discussed. Indiana State Police said despite hundreds of new tips in the case they still had no suspects and there were no new leads the case is still open anyone with information is asked to call the indiana state police district investigative commander at 574-546-4900 that sucks because we see it all the time is when like unsolved cases or cases that happen around the same time as others get footnoted And it's not the case that gets footnoted, it's the person, it's the victim. That sucks. 
I want to know what forensic evidence they have because they mentioned they were going to test some. I want to know if the suspect that they had was the same person as the person that found her. Yep. I want to talk to the family members because usually family members are very outspoken about unsolved crimes. Yeah, I think that, I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on around this time, even like in the state of Indiana, but I couldn't help but looking like every single time I was trying to find information about Brandy, there were all of these mentions of these other unsolved cases. Like I didn't even put it in my script because it just felt like it was getting too convoluted. But that 19 year old that was found in the river. Yeah. The article about him mentioned that his, like it was either his brother or cousin one of the two had also recently been murdered but that was like they were killed by their wife and like she was in jail but allegedly i think she was in custody i didn't like deep dive into that case but they had a person that did it yeah it's just like if you told me all of these things happened in marion county i'd be like Sure. In Indy, like, Indy is a big city. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of crime. But just this, like, really small pocket in northern Indiana, south of South Bend, which is, like, the biggest city up there. And these are all, like, rural communities. Yeah, for all this to be happening at the same time, it's freaky. It's very freaky. And if I had to guess, like, which cases were the most connected, I would say there's a chance that Brandy's and Darlene's cases could be connected. Darlene lived less than two miles down the road from Brandy's house. And this was the mom? This was the mom that got kidnapped from her house no, and then killed. Though. The victimology is different. It's very different. The other one, I guess, would be the other young girl who was found killed face down, but that was an hour north. Right. Which I guess doesn't mean anything. It's still close proximity. Yeah, yeah. But still, again, 11 versus 19. Like, it's just so much we don't know that I want to know. These cases are so frustrating. So frustrating. I'm glad it's on their website, but I mean, I feel like there needs to be some sort of way that we keep cold cases in the limelight. We need a little heat lamp for them. Yeah. <laughs> in the media or something. In three years, it'll be 40 years since this okay. crime happened. That's a big anniversary. It's still unsolved. I would no. I would be pushing for it if I was a reporter. I yeah. mean, we're in this really strange window where like after 40 years... It gets a lot harder. Kids who are Brandy's age are now approaching like their late 50s and 60s. Some people may stop remembering. I mean, and then adults, the adults who were, I mean, say the adults in the neighborhood were in their 30s. Okay, well, now they're pushing 70. Right. You lose a lot of valuable information. But as we've seen with a lot of cold cases recently, you're gaining technology. So it kind of just depends what was at the scene because they haven't said so they haven't said anything about what was at the scene but yeah it's an 11 year old girl who was sexually assaulted and strangled to death like that headline now i feel like would (laughs) blow up a little bit at least locally right well i have a fun fact Okay, give me your fun fact. Did you know the CIA headquarters has its own Starbucks, but baristas don't write names on their cups? (laughs) (laughs) It's receipts, 
say store number one instead of Starbucks and its workers need an escort to leave their work posts. Oh my gosh. That's aggressive for a cup of coffee. The securest of Starbucks is in the nation. (laughs) Seriously. You just read out the order. What if you have like a really long, like annoying order? Yeah. Yeah. How do they identify? Or like everybody has to order through mobile. Like, yeah, you can't even order in person. It has to be or like a fingerprint. <laughs> what Could you imagine? Oh, my gosh. I went to that reminds me. I went to this. Has, you're going to be like, how'd you get here from here? But we <laughs> went we got pizza last week and we went to Little Caesars because yeah. I love their breadsticks, so... I love their breadsticks. Yeah, so we went to Little Caesars, and I ordered online, and I went to go pick it up, and, you know, normally I feel like when you have a pickup order, you just go to the counter, and you're like, oh, I have a pickup order. They have this high-tech, like, vault system now, where I guess when you order online, it gives you a code, and you put the code in, and then you just take your order yourself. I was like, what the hell is this? How are they paying for this when their pizza's $5? (laughs) Their pizza is so hit or miss. I'm not going to lie. I know. But, but their breadsticks always hit. Do oh, you yeah. know what Jake and I do now? No. We, we order pizza from Casey's. I love Casey's pizza. It's so good. It's very good. I've ordered pizza from Casey's before. It's like a gas station pizza should not be that good. Oh, yeah. If you're listening, we have like less than 1% in like New York or something. So if you're listening, <laughs> I don't know if you have Casey's. Casey's yeah. Casey's is like this little it's like a little like convenience store that is a gas station and I really like them they're really cute they have really good like snacks and they make really good gas station food like it's above average the pizza and they're known for like their breakfast pizza but I'm not into don't put eggs on a pizza that's weird um I love their breakfast pizza I know Jake does too he loves it I am just like a ride or die for their cheese pizza it's so good it is so good grab a slice showed you my boobie on accident uh, <laughs> hello it's, too I early early for that. it's like 10 in the morning it is not before noon <laughs> we should not be flashing tit before noon <laughs> as former journalists we want to give credit where credit is due for this episode i got my information from indiana state police the south bend tribune the rochester sentinel the indianapolis news the guardian and wndu you can find a complete list of our sources in the show notes please make sure you check them out bye Bye. and eat casey's pizza a hundred percent goodbye